Aloha and welcome back to another My Astros Vibe. That's right, that's right, that's right. We are back here. My name is Juan Jefe Espinal and I'm super stoked to be back here on the microphone here on location in the community for a special Community Corner episode. Now, here at My Astros Vibe, you know that we're always bringing a powerful and impactful message We're trying to bring educators together, bring the classroom to the community. We're trying to instill legislative change, empower our communities, and make positive impact for the future in our keiki. It's something that really matters to us here at Maestro's Vibe. And I am beyond honored, stoked, and humbled to be here and be able to have an opportunity to share in this message, something that our special co-host for the next three episodes here, we both and everyone here in this room believed was important. We are here to talk about water. Now, while I take a quick sip of water, I needed to introduce our highly esteemed co-host who joins us here today and I'll pass the microphone over to you Ray. Aloha Juan, mahalo nui for bringing us together. Uh, my name is Ray um, or Rhiannon Tereri E. Chandler Iao. Um, I am the executive director of Vai Viola and it is um, actually a organization in transition. We are formerly known as Vai Viola Waterkeepers Hawaiian Islands and we are currently known as Vai Viola Ohana, which is the um, collection of all of the efforts that we have done statewide and are so excited to talk about today. All of that has to do with water, fishable, swimmable, drinkable water. And we're going to be talking stories about it for the next three episodes. I'm so excited. We're going to be learning a lot more about all of your work, Ray. We appreciate you being here, an expert who's been working in the state thinking and learning and growing. And speaking of someone who's been thinking and learning and growing, we have got a special guest, a student all the way from Hilo here in this special place in Kona, which we'll be sharing more about soon. You will learn more about why we're here on location in this special place. But I would like to take a moment and pass that microphone over to our special guest, Darian. Welcome to the show. Mahalo, Juan. Mahalo for having us here. My name is Daria Moraoka. Aloha mai. I am originally from Kauai, and I am a student at the University of Hawaii at Hilo in the TCBES program. That's the Tropical Conservation Biology and Environmental Science program in the internship track. And I'm so honored to have Ray as my mentor here for these two years. It's been two years. Yay. Ray, you've been a mentor for you, Darian, for two years now. Yes, very exciting. Darian's a graduate student, so it's not too much mentorship. It's really an honor to work with her. And maybe you want to just share a little bit about uh, how's that partnership been for you? A powerful two years learning. Yes, it's been a powerful tool, Juan. And, you know, we've been just getting started, you know, um, COVID hit, uh, the pandemic was, it took a big toll on all of us. However, we got to learn just how powerful we are within our nonprofit worlds. We got to learn 
how to work together as both partners and within our community. And we also got to learn from each other and we're still learning from each other. And it's just been extraordinary. Absolutely. I would I would love to. Um, I wish we had more time to talk about the two-year journey. COVID really um, shifted, I think, a lot of the things mm. that we had planned initially, but it gave us an opportunity to dive deeper in other areas, you know, in, in our personal research, in our water quality work um, directly in the community, in our tiny bubble of ourselves and Dr. Rick, uh, which we'll mm -hmm. talk about later. But um, it was such an honor, really, to get to know, um, I think, the community a little bit better. When the tourists left, we had a little bit more access to some of the areas, you know, that we um, have been monitoring over time. And it was nice to see the changes. I think it's it's interesting because it's like, oh, well, the water could be so much healthier if we manage things differently. You know, we got to see a lot of things when tourism kind of mm. paused and came back. Um, but I think that they've given us opportunities uh, to make changes that are, uh, that our islands are, are really asking for. And, um, and along the way, you know, that, that data that we've gotten from water quality has been really helpful, um, as, as Darian mentioned, in our partnership with the county and other um, governmental agencies that are responsible for water quality and public health. And, and so working with them, um, I think having more time to work with them because we have not, you know, as many events and things going on, um, that has opened up a lot of potential, I think, um, going forward in the areas of, of wastewater and stormwater and some of the exciting things we're going to be talking about today. I agree with you. I feel like COVID did change a lot of plans yeah. and it gave us an opportunity that was unique. And I think it's what makes this opportunity here in this community space so special to me. I mean, this is something that I had dreamed of to come together, have these important conversations because they really do matter. And especially when we think about our islands, absent of tourism. Yeah. I mean, it's something that is intertwined. It's something that will forever be intertwined, I believe. But what does it all mean for our land here? And, and, and it is something that is probably changing regularly. It's something that we're getting to understand more regularly. And sometimes it's not really that fun to get to know it, I think. I think sometimes when you really take a step back and get to know things, it be, can be a little bit uncomfortable. I agree, yeah. I think it, it exposed some things, you know, that we were not ready yet to, to talk about because COVID created an opening that we'd never seen before. I mean, I remember, um, you know, going to beaches on Maui and um, on Oahu that I had never been to when they were empty. Like I, I was the only person there or maybe one other local family. And these are beaches that have literally hundreds of people on them and you can't even put your towel down, you know? And so to see, and remember these places and go on trails that I that I hadn't gone on because there was usually so many tourists there that you just wouldn't even chance it. It was almost dangerous. You know, there's so many people on the trail. And and to go back to these places and and in just a short amount of time, I mean, Kahalu'u Bay is an example. Mm. Um, and Auntie Cindy, um, Cindy Punihale's work down there, she could see the regeneration of the coral just in the very short time that the tourists had stopped coming, right? And in that just few months you know, coral had started to come um, back and that uh, the fishes had come back with the coral, you know, and, and we don't think, I 
I think we don't think about the uh, the impact that we're making on the environment, you know, and and what that is um, it, when you amplify it into literally the millions, you know, the millions of people who come to Hawaii and what impact that has on on forests and on beaches and and in in on our waters, you know, and so I think it gave us an opportunity to say, oh, wait a minute, okay, so. Ooh, look at all that regeneration that took place, <laughs> you know, so what can we do? And, and for example, I know Auntie Cindy, um, in that time, she was like, well, let's change the direction that the, the people come into the water. Let's have more organization. And so less trampling, you know, and, um, and so some of those um, adjustments, you know, were made possible by COVID. Um, and I would say they're a little bit of the silver lining, you know, of, of what was really a difficult and continues to be a difficult situation. Um, but it, here in Hawaii, I think it gave us an opportunity to think about environmental management um, and an opportunity to see the, um, the restoration or um, the, the species coming back. And I think that's one thing as a person who's worked on restoration, we have native oyster projects and native limu projects um, that, that we have worked on statewide and it's really um you have to believe that these things can come back right mm -hmm. and and when you start you're not sure that that they will or can you know the odds are so incredibly stacked against us i think when we talk about the orders of magnitude of of um water quality and pollution issues that we have and people issues that we have um but then instead you know when you get this break and you see so much recovery in such mm -hmm. a short time. It's like a really a reminder that if we just give nature just a little bit of a chance or even better yet, assist nature just a little bit, you know, that we can see this fabulous recovery. And, and I think that's why, you know, the work that Darian does is so motivating to me. The work that we do with students in schools and, and the storm drain sensing work that she does, um, because it's, it's really about not giving up. It's about saying, hey, maybe it doesn't have to go like this. You know, maybe it doesn't have to just all go into a storm drain and then all go into the bay or the river. You know, um, there are subtle things that we can do to participate in, you know, the recovery. Because I think if we reduce the pollution, we can give Hilo Bay a chance, you mm. know, to come back and see um, what, what, what a phenomenal resource I know that it is. Um, if we would just kind of reduce a little bit of the human issues that are compromising it. And that's something that is unique to here in Hawaii. And, and to our listeners and to our viewers here, island-wide, nationwide, worldwide, please know this is a message that I think is very, very pertinent to us here on this island. But we also hope that you can extrapolate this information and take it wherever you do live, because this is information that I do believe is important for anyone anywhere. And, and Darian, we, I, I really want to dig into just some of the studying you've been doing, because it is something that is not maybe something a lot of people think about, which, which Ray, you were mentioning, which is our, our storm drains. Yes, that's correct. And I think within these this past two years, um, there have been a lot of thinking of what we can do within this project. But for the first two years, I really wanted to deepen my pilina or my connection with Hilo. And so with that, it was all about learning mo'olelo. It was about connecting with community. It was about actually going out into the community and doing volunteer work. It's um, It really deepened the connection that I had with the neighbors that 
you know, walks around and um, the fishermen that also just have their own grounds. But when there was tourism, you know, um, a lot of peace people were just swamping to the beaches and kind of going through those fishing grounds. But once that had that pause, as Ray was saying, it was like, oh, how are you doing, baby girl? You know, it was, what are you doing today? How is our water today? And with that, Lena, with that connection, it's, it's that start of that pono science. You know, it's that start of what can we do for the people that live here? It's, it's love, it's aloha. And so um, with this project, it has three parts. One part was to monitor the rivers. So our three main rivers of Hilo, which was Wailoa, Honoli'i, and Wailuku. And we got to see the flow, thank you to Andrew Hara for um, doing all of those rivers and just extrapolating all of this amazing imagery and videos. Um, But we got to really see our rivers flow. And I think that's where, you know, um, we got to see what's going on within our watershed. You know, how are our native and also invasives contributing to viparian erosion or just erosion in general within Hilo? And what is going into our water when reaching those residential, industrial, and businesses within downtown Hilo or within Keokaha? And so um, that was one part of our project. The second part of the project was also um, water quality sampling within Hilo. So we had, um, I think it was five sites, Ray. Mm -hmm. And we would actively go to um, collect water samples within those sites. And within those sites, we were finding um, little traces of mercury lead legacy pollution however that was also how our pilina had started too you know we have all of this legacy pollution but it takes our legacy within this baseline to keep it going to make sure that our community in hilo is safe when they're recreating paddling fishing um, and also surfing The last part of the project is outreach and education. So within storm drain stenciling, it's very important. It's used as an awareness tool. Um, So some Waiakea students, Waiakea high school students and I, we went around to observe the storm drains. So we took um, valuable data before we even storm drain stenciled. So we got to take pictures of the storm drain. We got to see if it already had pollution within it, if it was natural pollution and just grass rising from the storm drains, or if it was um, humans contributing to these pollutions in the storm drains. Um, And there have been like pieces of cigarettes, there's pieces of trash, and we got to observe a lot of that. And so our next steps within volunteer week is to go back and observe those storm drains and storm drain stencil um, all drains lead to the ocean. Mm. Yeah. Or all drains lead to waterways, which is very important, you know, Um, and people can physically see the detriments of their pollution to our water once maybe they won't pollute anymore. 
And it also gives the students a chance to do hands-on volunteering for Earth Month and for everyday, you know, everyday uses. We always pass these storm drains, but we never see the impacts that we are creating within our waterways just because of that indirect connection that we don't see every day. But those are our three big parts of our project for my um, graduate program. Wow, thank you for sharing that. And, and, and when you mentioned storm drain stenciling, you are specifically talking about stenciling on a storm drain. Like just just to give people an image, like what, and and we'll try and get an, an image of this, and 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 actually we'll have a lot of exciting opportunities to share more if this is interesting, uh, and you want to get your hands on because, so it's just stencil on the actual storm drain, and it says all, all, drains lead to waterways, yes, and wow, I think it's important to also highlight the work before even getting to the storm drains. Um, you know, working with Department of Public Works, um, they have a lot going on too. So you want to make sure, like, as a student, you're being as respectful as possible of their time. And it was a lot of a couple of months that we had to work with them. And I'm pleased to have worked with who I did because she was on it. She was like, I can get you these permits, just give me the maps. And so we kind of had this ongoing conversation of, okay, where do you want a storm drain stencil? Okay, I can have it here, but we're not sure if the storm drains actually do lead to these waterways. So it was a constant, you know, add, delete, but also um, creating that connection with them is very important because once we got those permits to storm drain stencil, now it was the students' turn to do their work. And I think that was it's powerful because we just go to the storm drains that we observed that are on our maps for our permits. And we just storm drain stencil, all drains lead to waterways. And there are people passing and wondering what we're doing, but that's the next connection that we need to make. That's our big Kilino with each other that we need to make. And just making that connection for earth month is making an impact already. Maybe y'all can help me, and I, and and I know you all know a lot more about water than I do. So, is it difficult to map where water goes? Is that that's a complex thing? <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody um, can confidently say that they know exactly where water goes. And um, Dr. Rick would be a great person to talk to about mm. that, especially because the um, the hydrology uh, under the surface is different in every community, depending mm. on the geology of that area. And so. Um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting also, though, that people take their information um, regionally uh, where they come from and they apply it to the next place. Like every place might be similar and in fact, they're different. Um, and so one thing that we ran into and, and, and what caused this, this issue um, to come to our attention was when we were first starting to make a waterkeeper organization. We we're talking with folks. Um, and somebody had commented to me that they recently saw somebody um, in the Kona Costco parking lot, putting their used motor oil down the storm drain. And um, and that is a common practice of the past. Like I'm aware of people putting storm drain, you know, um, used motor oil down the storm drain. And I think it's just a 
really um, sad kind of misunderstanding about how storm drains work and um, and maybe, you know, people in the past not understanding that that, you know, could be harmful. And, um, and in other cities, um, perhaps there are combined systems in the sewer um, where it leads to uh, the storm drain and the sewer come together and it goes to some kind of treatment plant. And so maybe people think, oh, it's going to get treated before it goes out, you know. Um, but that is not the case in in Hawaii anywhere that I'm aware of. In fact, um, if you put used motor oil down the storm drain, then it's probably going to go straight to a river and then to the ocean. Or in Kona, it's going to go straight down into the groundwater probably and then out into the ocean. Either way, it's a horrible scenario that we don't want to have happening. And so... Um, on the off chance that people are under the impression that storm drains lead to some kind of um, filtration or cleaning or, um, you know, treatment system, then it's important to label the storm drain just for that reason. Um, but then, you know, on the other hand, the the fact that, you know, we're all sort of participating in this, um, in this non-point source pollution, you can't point to it. You can't say somebody's putting their used motor oil down the storm drain, but still, as Darian mentioned, heavy metals and other particles are making mm. it out into the water. And how is that happening, right? Um, it's happening because collectively, we're all leaving sort of our pollution on the surface, you know, uh, uh, from our cars, like any kind of leaking oil that might be coming out of our cars. Cadmium dust comes every time we hit the brakes um, these things are on the surface of the road, along with fertilizers that come from our yards, um, any kind of pesticides that might be running off from um, anywhere where they were applied. All of these things are kind of coming into this rainwater soup every time it rains really hard, you know, and, and, mm. and they all come together into this mixture. And this mixture just starts rolling down the hill, like wherever it gets, you know, and, and picking up everything in its pathway until it finds a drain that it can hit and then go into usually a river if you're in Hilo um, and then out into Hilo Bay. And so sadly, Hilo Bay just gets you know, pummeled, like just over and over and over with every rainstorm, um, wow. bringing it, this kind of pollution to Hilo the Bay. Hilo rain. Hilo rain, Hilo which rain. is so famous, you know, I mean, think about what that means, right? There's a lot of music about it. If you don't know, I mean, they, 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 this, we're talking about a lot of potential opportunities for the water to become more and more contaminated. That's and right. I think that might be related to what you were mentioning about some of that repair that we started to see yeah. when there was less going yeah. on. Well, and that's another factor. And, you know, we we are not at all against tourism. I mean, I think I, I, I'll speak for myself and say that, um, you know, I, I recognize what a role um, that – uh, tourism is in, in our plays in our economy as well as other you know um, ways that that our our economy is assisted by um, things like agriculture um, and even the military. Everything in in Hawaii you know plays an important role in the economy somehow. Um, and I and I'm not saying that you know we don't want to have tourism. That's not even possible for us. We we've. <laughs> You should see what happened to us when tourism stopped. I mean, our I think the governor announced that we have a recession for five years because of six months of, of not having tourism, right? I mean, so we're not advocating that the tourists don't come. 
Um, I think what we're saying is like, there's a lot of impact and how are we going to manage the impact? And just what you said, Juan, you know, it's not only about our, our cars on the road, there are tourist cars on the road too, right? If we have 10 million tourists visiting Hawaii a year, how many of them have a vehicle, right? How, how much of that pollution is adding um, to the things that we see in the storm and um, in, in storm water and, and then later in the near shore waters. And so um, it's really a broad conversation yeah. about community issues. Um, but in, in, in Hawaii, our community is made up of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Who's here. And it could be visitors, you know, and residents and, um, and, and the people who, you know, make these decisions. And so Darian's project is really important because it's really about bringing attention to an issue. As you mentioned, Hilo rain, we're famous for our rain, um, but we don't think about what that rain does, you know, mm. when it's, when it's kind of rolling around on the surface and, and percolating into the, into the bay of all places. Because it makes me kind of feel sad and bad for storm drains, poor storm drains. They <laughs> are intended for storm, correct? Yes. I mean, that, they, and they are just kind of, unfortunately, in the middle of this situation. Yes, that's correct. And um, it was interesting, too, when I was taking a land management, a land management and planning class um, within Hilo, downtown Hilo. No one really knows what happened between the planning and um, environmental science within it. However, downtown Hilo is actually an estuary, so it's prone to flooding. And when we get those big rain events we see those flooding and, you know, we don't really think about the storm drains anymore. We think about, oh my gosh, what are we walking in? You know, there are still people that walk through the floods just to get to their businesses or get to their homes. So like we can storm drain stencil and that's like one of the most important awareness tools we can have right now. However, how do we get everyone involved in this conversation of what's going to happen with Hilo and climate change. I mean, that is, that is such a great segue to, you know, the broader implications of, of the storm drain work. And, and really, I think it's about um, mm. taking steps where you can, right. As a nonprofit or as a community, you know, we can't solve, you know, all problems or even, you know, maybe there are big, big things that are outside of our control, um, but some things are within our control, like um, the things that we are introducing into the watershed, as, as Darian mentioned, you know, that um, some of that fertilizer, you know, that's coming off of our um, our storm drains um, and into our storm drains from our yards are things that we've applied, right, and to our yards. And so um, not over-applying fertilizers, not using pesticides and herbicides if you don't have to, you know, um, doing things that we can to protect our, our driveways and putting things down so that we're not leaking oil directly on the road, um, under our cars. If we know our cars leak, you know, putting something underneath them to catch that. Um, there's a variety of ways that we individually can make changes to lessen our collective impact. Um, and those are things that are within our control. So when you talk about climate change, Mm. you know, we have, um, very little control. Sadly, as Hawaii, as islands, you know, we are not the biggest generators of greenhouse gases. We are, we are the recipients of the impacts of climate change, right? No matter what we do. 
um, we are, we're counting on those who are in control of greenhouse gases to make better choices. Um, but in the interim, uh, we are making choices over what we can um, have control over, which is what we do in our watershed. Um, and that, you know, knowing that climate change is going to bring great storms, huge superstorms, um, and the kind of flooding that we haven't seen before. I mean, for example, Hurricane Lane just a few years ago, um, I think there was 50 inches of rain in Hilo in like a day or two days or something. It was a broke a record. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. And so that's the kind of saturation that we know that we're going to get in, in these storms because the wetter areas are projected to get wetter in climate change and the drier areas are projected to get drier. And so we're on notice as a mm -hmm. wet area that more water is coming. And so we have to do a better job as a community of how we manage the flow of water, um, both in our yards and, and more collectively as, um, as a city, like, you know, um, the county, what, what are we doing to control things like, um, storm drains and, um, settling basins and, and implement, you know, maybe great ideas like bioswales or other areas where, uh, floodwaters can settle on grass and percolate into the ground instead of rushing out into the ocean full of all of the pollution that it's carrying, um, which is is what a lot of channelization does. Anytime you concrete an area, you're just kind of creating a super highway for for the pollution to get out there. And I think um, there are steps we can take locally um, mm. that will kind of address the things that climate change are going to bring us. You know, we can't change climate change, but we can definitely make better choices. And Darian, that relates to what you were mentioning, how you all found this pollutant in some of the work that you were doing and some of the studying that you were doing. And I think some powerful words that are kind of resonating with me are, I believe you mentioned a legacy Pollution. Legacy pollution. Yeah, and then, and sadly, that's that's Hilo's story is legacy pollution. You know, that's a little bit where we started. I, there used to be a Canic factory on Hilo Bay, and um, a lot of arsenic came off of that, and and is now um, embedded in the substrate of Hilo Bay. Um, so much so that arsenic is detectable in the seaweed um, because it's growing out of that. You know. Um, that soil and, and that substrate at the bottom of the, of the ocean now. And, and really, if you talk about soil, soil belongs in the forest. Um, but if you look at our rivers, when it rains super hard, it's like chocolate brown. And that's not the right color for water. <laughs> um, that means that there's way too much turbidity, way too much sediment coming from our forests going down into the ocean. And that means it's transporting um, you know, all of the soil that's eroding uh, from areas usually where ungulates are. And so pigs, goats, sheep um, eating the forest, eating the native plants, um, they'll expose roots. Uh, and then um, when a big rain comes, all of that newly exposed dirt will get washed into the nearest waterway. And so um, forestry and, and forest management plays a very large role in the health of our watershed. And um, when all that soil is headed down the rivers um, and into Hilo Bay. It's just building up this foundation at the bottom of the of the 
uh, of the bay, you know, the substrate or the benthic level um, is getting uh, this kind of hypertoxic soil because the soil is now accumulating the pollution, you know, that's also in the water. Is and that, so that's really, you said saturation, right? The saturation. And so now you've got sand, soil, you know, as like a sink for like arsenic and, you know, other heavy metals that are coming down with the pollution. Um, so there's legacy arsenic. There's even legacy pesticides, you know, that are used from the um, the plantation uh, history that Hilo certainly was a large um, plantation community before. And so um, some of the pesticides, in fact, you know, that are related to pineapple and sugar um, plantations have um, a very long life and can be detectable decades after they were applied, you know. Um, and so we have some legacy pollution, and then we have some very contemporary anthropogenic sources of pollution, as Darian mentioned, human-made pollution that's coming down every single time there is uh, a large storm event. And so those are the ones that we have more control over. Um, and and arsenic is uh, is a big concern. You know, it's, it's being in our seaweed, um, that is the food chain, right? So the fish are eating the seaweed, the big fish eat the small fish, and then now we have to worry about the fish we're eating, um, and so, Darian, do you want to share a little bit about the work that you're doing with the fish pond and um, and how all of this sort of relates to water quality? Mm. Yeah. And first of all, I wanted to also give a mahalo to the local EO that I was able to even collect this data from. Um, so within the past two weeks, um, I've been working with Lanakila Learning Center, which is a center that is associated with Hilo High School. And they do a lot more hands-on learning for their kids. And so I was able to give presentations about the watershed, why is it, why Hilo's watershed is important and what we can do now. And with that, um, I was able to do some pono science or research um, within Kaumaui, which is Hui Ho'ole Mauluo's um, site um, one of their two fish ponds that they have at the end of Keokaha. And so with that, we were able to test the turbidity within the Makaha to see um, just how great those particles are um, turbulent and if the sun is doing its job, and it was doing very, very good. Um, we were also able to check the, the pH um, of the water, and it was perfect as well. And so next, what we're about to do is we had the students um, fish for a little while and throw their nets in the local ia. And so I was able to take some tissue samples of those fish, and it was mullet and also um, the invasive tilapia. Mm -hmm. And those invasive tilapias are huge. So um, with those tissues, we will run them within the lab to see if there is any lead, mercury, or arsenic that are within those tissues, just to make sure that we have baseline data for Kaumaui to see if the fish ponds can raise fish stocks for the community. And I think that's a big step in the direction that we want to go because we want to keep providing for our community and show our kids that this is not just within our generation, it's for their generation as well. Because we will be leaving this legacy with the next generation, whatever that is, mm -hmm. no matter what. Our time here is finite. And sometimes that's a difficult thing 
for me to wrestle with. But I guess that's what makes moments like this where we can come together, we can comment on this, we can bring this to our audience and let them know about this important work. Because I don't know about you all, but it, it just made me thirsty for a drink of clean water. And it made me realize how interconnected everything truly is. So if you want a clean drink of water, you really have to think about everything from your storm drains to that actual faucet. Darian, I really appreciate you joining us here yes. in our first episode. Now, while we, now, 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 our time here as well is finite. And I did want to give you an opportunity, just thinking about what we've been sharing here in this small circle. Is there anything that you take away from this conversation that you'd like to share with us all? Of course. And I think about it every day um, within this project, within my personal life. But Earth Day and Earth Month isn't just a month or a day. It's every day. And also, if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? And I think I wrestle with those questions every day because I want to make sure that for the next generation, we have all of those resources that make Hawaii Hawaii for them because they're going to, we are going to take off and we're going to leave what our legacy is for them for them. And so that's all I can say. If not us, then who? And if not now, then when? Thank you, Juan. Wow. Wow. And, and that, is, that really just makes you think because it is all about now. And, and Ray, thinking about right now and thinking about our, our listeners. I mean, we've been talking a lot about Hawaii and what's been going on, but, but maybe you wanted to share just a, a little tiny bit for our listeners about our upcoming special guest, perhaps, or, or, or maybe, maybe we maybe we keep <laughs> it uh, under wraps because we're talking about someone who's been doing some very important work throughout this community. So uh, maybe you want to share just a little bit? Sure. You know, um, I, I want to, I think maybe weave it all together to say, that um, Darian is such an inspiration. And, and I feel like this um, conversation really highlights what one person can do with their work, you mm-hmm. know, and that what, what one person's work can do for a community. Um, and, and Darian is really a, um, is, is really a um, part of a legacy of Dr. Rick, you know, that, um, and we're going to be talking with Dr. Rick later, but Dr. Rick has, you know, imparted his knowledge into a number of individuals, you know, and Darian is one of them that this knowledge then goes out and, and continues to serve our community and invite our community um, to participate and, and to be a part of the solution, right? That, um, that it's not only about us doing that work, it's about us inspiring um, the need, you know, for the work and then the action, um, that comes together, you know, to to solve some of these problems. I think that we all have a co- collective kuleana, whether we recognize it or not. Um, we are all impacting our environment, um, and we are definitely all part of the solution. And so, um, it's really an honor to see how all of these pieces come together, and um, to be able to talk about them with you, uh, Juan, as we 
Um, talk about Earth Day and Earth Week and Volunteer Week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also kind of put that into the larger, as Darian put it, the, you know, the the um, the bigger takeaway is really it's not a day and it's not a week, you know. Um, so we can kind of focus, zoom in on some of the exciting things we have going on, mm-hmm. um, but zoom out um, into the personal responsibility of like we have to keep this going um, because we have a lot of work to do, I think, for our community. Absolutely. This is just the beginning. Darian, huge mahalo for joining us here in our introductory Community Corner episode. We've got plenty coming at you. If you want to get involved with some of these action items, please know in the coming weeks we'll be sharing a little bit more about what you can do. But if you want a sneak peek, check out the description. There's a website. You'll be able to click on that and find some areas where you can start getting involved. But again, we'll be sharing more information about that. As we move forward, we just wanted to remind our viewers You might recognize this special space a little bit more with our special guest coming up on our next episode. And if you want to check out what we're doing on video a little bit more, we encourage you to follow our YouTube channel. And if you'd like to join us even more, go ahead and support our Patreon page, which is in the description as well. Ladies and gentlemen, our community members, I just wanted to give you a huge mahalo as we say... Ahoy ho on this episode of Maestro's Vibe.